So we're, we're on a series at the moment, um, which we're calling God's Economy of Superabundance. And I think this is, we've been, been in it since about November, and really prompted by things like the cost of living crises and the, and the financial turmoil that's been going on for the last uh, six months or so at least, we wanted to look at, okay, what does God say about finance and economy and how do we live in light of all of that? And it's been good hearing from people as we've been tracking with it over a period of months, just hearing people talk about how been looking at personal finances and thinking about money and how we work with it. And it's, it sounds like it's been a, a helpful and sort of uh, refining time for us as a community to kind of sit in this thing for a long time. And so this is about maybe like the seventh or eighth talk. We've just got a couple more and then we're going to change something different after Easter, which I'll mention in a bit. Um, and, and this morning I was going to talk a, a little bit about the kind of structural uh, injustice and, uh, and kind of go into that theme. So before I do, let's just take a moment and pray and say, uh, Jesus, we love you and uh, we want to follow you. And we pray that through the words I share, share now that you inspire us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you speak to us and you lead us into the fullness of who you've made us to be. Amen. Cool. So, Freddie, our boy Freddie was at school for two days this week. Because he had an inset day and then two strike days, and lots of, lots of strikes going on. I, I was looking for a list of what all the different striking bodies are right now. This is the list that I came up with: rail workers, nurses, junior doctors, civil servants, teachers, university staff, London Underground staff, ambulance workers, postal workers. Any others? Oh, the passport office. That's a fresh one, isn't it? Is that new? Yeah. <laughs> Anyone trying to travel? Sure. So there's all of these all of these strikes going on at the moment, and uh, and people are striking because they haven't got enough money to, they haven't got enough income to live off, or because they haven't got the resources to do their jobs safely or properly. You know, we see a real stretch, don't we, in in, in healthcare and education. Um, feels like there's been a chronic lack of investment over many years, which is, you know, a real strain. So how do, how does that fit in with God's economy, and how do we as Christians respond to that? Um, what do we do? Where do we go? There was this big experiment that took about 100 years and affected hundreds of millions of people. It wasn't really branded as an experiment, but it was an attempt to completely restructure how the economy works, how society is structured, how society works. And uh happened in China, in Russia, in smaller countries like Cuba. So communism, it was this, it was beginning of the 20th century, it was this whole new way of doing things. And I remember studying it at school, and they had these big grey buildings in Soviet Russia, where they were called micro-rayons. Did anyone study that stuff? Peter's nodding, he said, yeah, Peter will know what they are. And, um, and these great big sort of grey monoliths, so that everyone could live in exactly the same size and, and, and amount of accommodation. People would all receive the same income. And, uh, you know, it was looking to try and, the, the, the intention was to try and create an, a, a fair society in the, in, in the context of so much injustice. But, you know, we've seen over the last hundred years how really that hasn't worked, has it? it, it um, what we've seen is uh, a lot of dysfunction, particularly within communist countries, and, and uh, there's been famine and there's been war, and those in, in power have often s- tried to sort of cement their power and they've become dictators rather than egalitarian things and, and, and it really hasn't worked. So it did a massive restructuring of huge parts of the world but it couldn't change um, it couldn't change the human heart. 
So in Jesus' time, when Jesus was here, it's his time now, isn't it? But when he was here on earth, um, the Roman Empire was the overseeing empire of um, the, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel was, was, was ruled by. And uh, there were amongst Jesus' disciples, there was a guy called Simon, who was, a, who was a zealot. So he was a kind of political activist, a terrorist, I suppose, maybe you'd call him that nowadays. He was one of the zealots who were the people that were trying to take down Rome um, by military and aggressive violence and force. They were trying to, um, trying to beat Rome physically. Um, and, and they expected Jesus to come in and do that same thing. They, he expected Jesus to come in and just, and just outpower the, the Romans. But when we look at, look at Jesus in the Gospels, through his life, he doesn't, he doesn't seem to undermine the Roman Empire at all. He, um, just thinking about a few examples, he, um, what does he do? So uh, the, the Pharisees, they come and trick him and, and they say, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he basically says yes. And, and then, and then this is a Roman centurion comes to him one time and the centurion you know would have, would have been responsible for a hundred soldiers would have been a pretty brutal person probably to have got to that place of leadership would have would you know would have killed people murdered people extorted money from people would, would have been a probably quite a nasty that's typically what they were like but the centurion comes to jesus and says i've got a servant who's sick i know that you can heal him would you do it and jesus celebrates this man and says i haven't seen this sort of faith uh, in the whole of israel and really just celebrates this roman centurion and then you know, when Jesus is getting arrested, uh, coming up to Easter time, Jesus was, was getting arrested and the Romans, again, the, the army come out. He doesn't resist them at all. Peter gets a little bit trigger happy and chops off the ear of someone's, uh, of, of a servant who's come to help and, and, and he heals him. Uh, Jesus heals him. He, has, he, doesn't, he doesn't fight them in a, in a physical way. He, he lets them crucify him. And it's, it's all pretty bewildering, you know. Um, he doesn't... Um, he doesn't. Last, last week, um, Duncan was talking about uh, as, we, as he was leading worship, saying, just reflecting on Jesus in, in the boat on the, during the storm, and how you know peaceful Jesus was in the midst of a storm, and, and, and just slept through it. And, and, and I think Jesus, you know, concern for the Roman Empire, the crushing dominance of Rome, feels quite similar. He's, he's kind of asleep in the boat. It doesn't. And you think, you know, what's going on there? Does he not care? Um, is he not powerful enough to overthrow it? Um, is he being passive? Uh, but actually, he, he, Jesus knew just what he was doing, didn't he? And and he and he did it. Um, he did it to, to perfection. He was addressing the root of the problem, um, which is the corrupt human heart. So we've all been. We know this, don't we? We've all been created good in God's image. Uh, the world has been created good and we see, we're feeling the warmth of the sun and the blue sky. There's this beauty. And we know that there's this fracturing, like really as, as uh, Charlie said in the first half, this fracturing, um, this lack of shalom, this lack of peace which permeates through society and, th- and we see that on the, on the macro level with things like the Russia-Ukraine war and um, financial problems and we see it on the, on, in, in, in our personal lives in the breaking of relationships uh, and, and those kind of dysfunctionality. So there's this, this separation from God that we have, you know, which Jesus, when he came and when he died on the cross, that's what he, that's what he reconciled, reconciled that brokenness between us. And as we, as we remain in Jesus, as we remain in him, we see this, um, this life uh, begin, to, begin to flow and to grow. And I want to look at an example of this. This is, um, I can, I'm hoping I can, 
I haven't got one of those proper pointers for the PowerPoint because we've lost it. No, no, I think I should be good, Rob. Actually, you, you could sit there just in case. But can I just, I'll try and do it myself. I've got the mouse hovering over the button. So let's just try that. Oh, no, didn't work. Can you press the button? Thanks, Rob. So let's have a look at this. This is a, a, bit, this is a bit of Bible, actually, that I've always hated, to be honest. <laughs> I don't know if you've got bits that you don't like. Because to me, it's always felt impossible. And, it, and, and so I've, just, I've always felt really frustrated with it. But I, I've, I've come at it afresh this time from a, from a different perspective. And, uh, and it's really looking at this, rather than it being this is some sort of template that we've got to try and copy and, and we feel guilty when we don't. I'm see, I see this instead as the natural overflow that happens when we have been born again when we've been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, and when we live as Jesus' people. And that's what these people were. This is the beginning of the church. So Jesus has just gone to heaven. Holy Spirit's come on the church. And, and this is what the, the people of God looked like. So if you can, pre- uh, you, you can, um, yeah, can you press the button? Uh, uh, it's going to be so nice and slick. Can I just see if I can line up my mouse? I think it's just too far away. Okay, I'll give you like a special move like that or something. Something cool. <laughs> okay. Um, so, wh- so what happens when people? What happens when people have the Spirit of God living inside them, and they're and they're and they're pursuing Jesus wholeheartedly? So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they gave them. So, and, and I think by that it means it means that they they heard what the apostles was what, be, what was being taught, and then they put it into action in their lives. They devoted themselves to fellowship, and fellowship looks like this kind of this kind of Christian community of encouraging each other, um, cheering each other on, cheering over what it is to follow God together. Fellowship, <laughs> sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. So they ate they ate together. We're getting a picture here of what their what their life looked like, and and they prayed a lot and and prayer. And what, what, was the, what was the outworking of these people living in this immersive life? It was. <laughs> All the believers met together in one place and they shared everything that they had. They, had. they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. And so there's, this, so there's, a, there's a completely different um, economy which comes out of these people that have been transformed by Jesus. If you compare this to the to communism, or we compare this to the, the might of the Roman Empire and those things, which look to sort of structurally just dominate, crush, destroy anything, you know, bulldoze anything that got in the way. And in comparison, um, the the way Jesus went about it, I mean, it's, it sounds rude to say this, but but it, but it almost looked pretty pathetic when it first started. Now, even Jesus' closest disciples abandoned him when he, died, when he was arrested, didn't they? they? They left. And even on Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, there were still only a few, there were a few thousand people, which is not really that many, considering this is the Son of God who came, came to earth as a person. It's really pretty parochial, pretty local, in a fairly insignificant part of the world. You know, for many years, it looked pretty small, and it looked pretty weak. And it's doesn't have you think think of Rome and you think of the sort of cities and the kind of all those big square rectangular shields and these huge great armies and the and the currency which is spread all around the world and, and the road network which is established and you, you, you compare that to to what 
what, what's going on. And you just see this, this small thing, a small group of um, followers of Jesus who, who um, are people that are changed and they just were, were filled with God's spirit and, and they live, this, live the teaching of Jesus. Give and it will be given to you. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the things that Jesus said. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or your body, what you'll wear, but seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. It all looks really small. It all looks quite simple. How is this going to tackle? We, we look at these things like the, the, the poverty and the injustice. You know, and, and let's, I think one of the things we've seen through the pandemic is we've seen how, 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 how these things work together, don't they? And you see how when someone becomes unwell and actually there isn't a, an appointment in the hospital for a year to treat them, um, that how debilitating that is for their life. And there are probably knock-on effects in terms of family relationships, uh, maybe not being able to have a job. And in, you know, in more severe cases, it can lead into really severe, even prison for some people. And, 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 that, just, and that can just destroy lives. You know? these, are, these are massive problems that we see. How do we fill these huge funding goals like the, the billions of pounds that are needed for the NHS, the billions of pounds that are needed in, in education? These things look like just colossal Roman Empire-type problems. And who are... Who are we as little people to, um, to tackle these massive global injustices? There are some really good books written in recent years uh, th- that, that um, trace and show the impact of Jesus uh, on the world today. And uh, there, are, there are three. In fact, you can do a, we have a little click moment. There we go, Rob, thanks. Your, your work is done. You can, you can sit next to Sarah again. Thank you. Um, thanks so much. So they, these are three books, and they, um, and they really they kind of trace through what's the impact that Jesus has had um, on society now. His, and they kind of, and they, so the, the first one is this one by John Ortberg, who is this man? The Unpredictable Impact of the Inescapable Jesus. Then there's this one, The Air We Breathe, um, Freedom, How We All Came to Believe in Freedom, Kindness, Progress, and Equality by Glenn Schribner. And then this one, if you like, really, this is a bit more academic, it's a bit more of a heavy history book. Um, Tom Holland, not the Superman one, um, Spider-Man one, sorry. Dominion, the making of the Western mind. And all of these really show how Jesus' influence has, has um, swept through history and shaped art, science, government, medicine, the legal system, education. And he's taught humans about dignity, compassion, forgiveness, and hope. And how his influence isn't just list, limited to Christian people, but it's permeated right through society. This guy, the air we breathe one, he talks about, starts off talking about goldfish and how goldfish don't know that they're living in water, we presume. They just do. The water's just there. And, and, and he kind of says the same thing for us. We, 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 we're not conscious of the, the, sort of the type of air that we're breathing. Um, you know, we, just, we, just, we just breathe it all the time. And the world we live in, particularly in the West, is so shaped by Jesus. And his teaching over time, and it's it, it's so it's so thorough throughout that we can really quite easily just miss it. And and these books are brilliant at, at highlighting some of those things. I'm just going to read one example um, from the air we breathe, and uh, this is about healthcare. So this is, will encourage us. And uh, medical care did not, of course, originate with Christians. The Greeks had their physicians and, and physicians. The Romans had their sick bays for slaves and soldiers. But such sick bays existed in order to return the injured to economic and military usefulness. 
Christians following the lead of the Good Samaritan developed something new, healthcare for all. The religious scholar David Bentley Hart gives a sketch of the early development. And these are some saints, and saints were, these were Christian people throughout, through history. St. Ephraim, St. Ephraim the Syrian in AD 306, when the city of Edessa was ravaged by plague, established hospitals that were open to everyone who was afflicted. About the same time, St. Basil the Great founded a hospital in Cappadocia with a ward set aside for the care of lepers, who he ministered to with his own hands. St. Benedict of Nursia, AD 480, opened a free hospital at Monte Cassino and made care of the sick a paramount duty of his monks. In Rome, the Christian noblewoman and scholar St. Fabiola in 400 AD established the first public hospital in Western Europe. Despite her wealth and position, she often went out on her own into the streets to seek out those who needed care. St. John Chrysostom, AD 347, while patriarch of Constantinople, used his influence to fund several hospitals in the city. This care for the poor and sick was headed up by the church leaders. Charity was considered integral to the faith and the duties of each Christian, with the bishops leading the way. They presided over many welfare states, with their size and infrastructure growing after the conversion of the Roman Empire, Constantine, in 312 AD. Uh, AD. From the 5th century, there was to use medievalist William Brodman's phrase, a cascade of hospitals. In the, middle of a- in the Middle Ages, just the monastic order of the Benedictines alone were responsible for more than 2,000 hospitals in Western Europe. These movements were thoroughly and particularly Christian. And he goes on to, to explain more. But it's, it's so cool seeing how right the way through um, so many of these massive institutions in modern life, their roots are in, in Christians. And, and, and if you can imagine like St. Basil, you know, he was he was doing a really different. He was going and he was touching lepers who everyone else would send to live in a completely you know a, a waste would no, never go near. His his work would have been hard. It wouldn't have been an easy job, right? Here we go setting up a a hospital. I bet it was. I bet he was exhausted. I bet he was. I bet he was abused. I bet people hated him for what he was doing and slandered him, slagged him off, tried to stop him, tried to undermine his work. He was, but he got his shoulder in and he and he worked hard. And lots of people over over many years doing that have changed um, the have cha- have changed the system, changed how things work. So, coming back to how we tackle structural injustice, um, I think if we look look through history, um, the encouragement is that uh, that people have done it, and often it's taken quite a long time, but. Um, but pe- but people have done it, and I th- and I think the the encouragement for us as well is that we're also we're doing similar stuff now amongst us here at Hope, in the room, Christians in the city, and around. I just had a little, little jotted down a little list last night. People within Hope are taking on stuff such as investing in deprived parts of Bristol, changing the fashion industry, changing the way we educate children, changing the way that we build and provide houses changing how we, how we welcome and treat refugees. So those are sort of big sort of change uh, movements people are driving. Alongside this, we're being godly people working as police, contributed to our local communities in foster care, in business, family life, in media and creative industries, in hospitals and healthcare, public health, recovery, public services, education, freeing people from debt, social care and housing, working as Christians in construction, law, finance, Christian ministry, charity, all sorts of our other areas. So I, I wanted to say that, that, that we're doing it already. When, when we look at these big areas of injustice in the world, and, and they feel huge, um, actually 
we're, we're, we are addressing these things and we're, and we're already um, pressing into them and, and, do, and doing stuff. So I, I want us to be encouraged by that. You know, we're, we're following in the way of Jesus. And I had three, three comments just to, to, to make about as we continue in that, in that direction. The first one is that it's really easy to be, I think, discouraged when things don't happen as we expect. Um, so, so often we can, we can I'm sure if, if you've been a Christian for a while, there have been times when you've expected and hoped that Jesus would do something dramatic or significant and it, and it hasn't worked out as in the way that you expected. Can anyone relate to that? You, you, you've said, well, I'm going to try this, I'm going to go for this. And then you're a bit disappointed with the results. I've done, I've done, I've done that. I've done that many times. <laughs> and um, but I think there's there's something. It's helpful to recognise that God often seems to work by by um, by starting off with something quite small and growing it to maturity, rather than doing a sort of microwave zapping things. Um, Jesus said, he, "There's that parable." He said that the kingdom, of, the kingdom of heaven, is like a, a mustard seed, one of the smallest, smallest seeds. Start, you can barely even see it, but it grows into this massive tree that le- provides shelter and, and a home f- and, and food for, for many, many creatures. As I said before, Jesus' life and death and resurrection actually didn't really look like very much when it, fir- when it first happened. It, 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 you could quite easily miss it if you were in Jerusalem or, or, or around Israel. And then you see times in the Old Testament when, when God spoke to Israel saying, like when they're building the temple, for example, uh, God said through, I think maybe Zephaniah, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Because it's easy to look at it. We're just building this temple. It's not really working. It's taking years and years and years. Um, and I heard a quote yesterday um, that I thought was really helpful. And I think it sort of speaks into this as well. And it was that we, we tend to vastly um, overestimate what we can achieve in the short term. But we also tend to vastly underestimate what God can do through a lifetime of faithfulness to him. And that, that really resonates, I think, with the way of Jesus I see in the scripture and the way that, um, that God does things. So that was my first point. Um, don't, don't be discouraged when, when it's hard work. You know, St. Basil and, and those other saints, they work really hard. I bet they didn't see a lot of breakthrough, uh, you know, a lot of days. But they were, but they were seeking God's kingdom and um, giving themselves to it. And we are living off the, the back of, what, of, of a lot of the work that they've done. My second point was, um, let's just give ourselves wholeheartedly to, to sowing seeds. And let's give ourselves to, um, let, let's really just go, you know, Jesus said, he said some audacious things. And like, he said, he said that we will do, John fourteen twelve says that we'll do even greater things than he did. Because he's going to be with the Father, you know, and we can feel like we're not, you know, have we even started? I can feel like have we even started? Um, Jesus says, you know, ask and I'll give it to you. Paul says, um, I'll give you. God does immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. So I want to encourage us to be people that just let's just take those words to Jesus. Let's drop all the buts and the hasn't worked out in the past as I hoped, and let's just go for it wholeheartedly. Let's let's give ourselves to sowing seeds. When we see a when we see a, a brokenness or a problem in society, let's 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 go for it. Let's say, God, do you want me to take hold of this? Is this for something that you want me to own? You know, George Muller here in Bristol, um, he was disturbed, wasn't he, by the state of the orphans? 
uh, seeing them running around on the streets of Bristol. And um, he was disturbed by that. I wonder what his journey was between there and between taking them into his home. I wonder how long it took him and, and what his, how he prayed, what did he ask God about, you know, what, what was the journey. But he clearly responded to that niggle that he had. I bet he didn't plan to have, what was it, 5,000? There's thousands of orphans. How many? 10,000 orphans he provided homes for through what he did. I bet he didn't have that in mind when he just said, okay, to his wife, let's have a couple of orphans come and live in our home. And, um, and it just escalated. Yeah, sir. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just summarize that for, for the recording. So Sarah was saying, you know, we've got such a global continuous news feed. We know of every earthquake that happens in every part of the world. We know of every... Uh, you know, com- potentially every conflict and so much stuff, you know, we can't own and take all that stuff on. Totally agree. My other little example was a guy, um, Henry Nowen, who is a, a really uh, sort of renowned Christian writer, theologian, um, and he was a big cheese writer and speaker at Harvard and at Yale, these big American universities, and his stuff was in very um, high demand. And he spent the last 10 years of his life, he went and lived in this community of uh, adults with uh, severe disabilities and special needs. And, uh, and he basically looked after one man for 10 years. That was the last, the end, the last 10 years of his life. So he gave himself to, to um, just, just loving this one person. So I'm not saying that we've all got to be George Mullers and produce these massive scale things. Um, you know, we, we need to do what's the, what's the work that God has created for us. What's the, what's the work that he, he's got for us to do. But let's, let's discover that and let's just go for it in a, in a wholehearted way. My third point was that um, we shouldn't be surprised as we pursue God's kingdom in these things um, if we get kickback from the world around us. You know, St. Basil and Co. would have had all that, as I said. Um, but, uh, you know, Jesus' values are different to the value to the world around us. Um, interestingly, I don't think they are quite so different as when in the, in the Roman context, because so much of the world that we live in now, particularly in the West, has been Christianized. So, that, so, so we, I think there's probably far less areas of difference between the Jesus worldview and the kind of, you know, current one in the, cult, in, in the culture. But actually, we do live by a different value system. Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And this is our, our partnership with him is saying, your kingdom come on earth as it, we, we want to we want to partner with God and his stuff. So as a way of finishing, um, just wanted to say that so in the, I think in these last couple of weeks, well, probably last maybe maybe last four Sundays particularly, I think we've just had some wonderful times of in, in, in the Holy Spirit together, haven't we? We've had some wonderful times of worship and um, on our Occords, uh, I, I've been at the evening Occords on the on the Tuesday. Those, those those worship gatherings had some fantastic times of just meeting with God, and uh, really really just excited about that. I've just, in, in a couple of stories, heard someone saying this week how that life had been so stressful for them uh, in a particularly stressful period. Um, came, I think it was, what did they come to? I think it was a Sunday service. And 
and just being in God's presence just changed them and, and they just left and, 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 and were peaceful in, in their circumstances afterwards. Another person was saying how they were, they'd been raging with anger and just couldn't put this anger down um, uh, for several days, came to the Occod's um, night of uh, evening of prayer and just that anger flipped into compassion and love yeah. and they left, um, left, left different. So um, this is this is our what we're, what we're all about, you know, and uh, people coming together, uh, not just in Hope Chapel, but but this is one of our this is our main meeting point as a whole gathered church. But um, I think who we are is a people that come together worshiping Jesus, and uh, the expectation is that as we encounter God together and give our lives to God together you know, things will change and we expect life to come out of each of us. And uh, don't be discouraged if it's if it's small and it's small steps because that seems to be the way that God often does something. Let's just, let's keep on sowing seeds. Let's just go wholeheartedly. And um, and it's okay if, it, if, it, if there's conflict off the back of it, if it's different to the world. We're going to be getting into after Easter. So much like we've been in this series on the economy, God's economy for the last few months, um, <clears throat> after Easter, we're going to have a period of a few months where we ask God. What one of the, the the original call on starting Hope Chapel here back in 2000 was to be a was to be a prayer centre for the city, and so we're going to um, have a kind of season, a kind of learning season, I guess, as a church on God. What are you saying to us about that now? How do we? How do you want us to pursue that dream to be a, a, a people in a place of prayer for the city? And I, excited about that, we're going to look at some of the old monastic orders like the Benedictines and all these guys, and, these guys and, and, and feed off some different sources, 24-7 movement. So we'll be looking at different people who've prayed, George Muller, Rob Scott Cook, over the years, um, and also saying, God, what's your design for us? Um, so I, 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 I believe God's got some really huge things for us as a church. And um, I, think, I think he wants us to continue to take on these big, these big challenges, the big problems in society. And we're doing it already, and it's, and it's, and it's really exciting. But I think he's got, he's got more. I, my personal feeling is that we're just, we're just getting started. And I feel like uh, the, 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 this, this undergirding and this place of prayer and encounter and meeting and worshipping God is, the, is the, the sort of fountain from which the water comes. So I um, wanted to say that I just love being part of this church. Love you guys. Um, really impressed with what you're doing. I, you know, it's, it's a wonderful church to be part of. And um, I want to say, please be encouraged in what you're doing. Give yourself to it wholeheartedly, and let's 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 see God's kingdom come even more. Yeah. <laughs> Esther, will you come and lead us? Where is Esther? There she is. Let's have a. We've got five minutes or so. Let's have a response in in song. Should we do? Should we do? Should we do? Um, you pick the song, Esther. I'll put I'll put the words up. Shall we stand? And God, we ask that you you settle in us, and I particularly pray for an encouragement uh, for us that we feel encouraged with what we're what we're doing and where we're going, and and a, and a boldness for us to, uh, to press on to attempt and. Um, take on the big challenges. So we give you our lives again. And we say, please, may your kingdom come in us and through us. Amen.